This podcast is sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online at mslandbank.com. They understand the lay of the land, whether it's farmland, building a dream home, or recreational property. That's Mississippi Land Bank. Also brought to you by Jubilation's Cheesecake in West Point. Headed to the game at the New Dude? Well, stop in at Jubilation's Coffee House in West Point on your way. They're great Bulldogs, and they serve great coffee from Bulldogs at High Point Roasters in New Albany. Locally roasted premium fresh coffee. While you're there, try homemade sausage balls, scones, muffins, and even Tyson Lee's lovely rolls. And, of course, cheesecake. Stop in for lunch, fresh sandwiches, and soup made from scratch. Open 6 to 6 Monday through Friday and 7 to 2 on Saturday, Jubilation's Coffee House in West Point. Stop in and tell them Hale State. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Out-recorded Omaha. Here comes the Bulldog baseball team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dogpile, where we are still waiting for Elijah McNamee to be done pimping that Grand Slam (laughs) he hit last night. I am Brett Hudson alongside Matt Wyatt. Matt, what'd you think of that showmanship at home plate last night? You know, I was in real time, I'm up there with Bart and I was watching the ball. And so, you know, I'm watching where it's going to land and I didn't see it in real time. I wasn't watching him after he made contact. Then I see the replay and I think I called it an itty bitty baby bat flip. But it, but the flip was not you know what um, you're kind of touching on. It was the just stand and admire it on a night when the wind was ripping out to left field, and we kept sure was we kept talking about it. I even right after that, I told Bart, I said, you know, Bart, maybe the best thing about that home run is it means all that time we spent talking about the wind in the first four or five innings wasn't wasted. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> you know, preview because we kept mentioning, man, if you elevate one tonight, it's going to blow out of here. Well, that one didn't really need any help. And, uh, yeah, so it was pretty cool to see that. He's been, what's he got now? An eight game hitting streak? Yeah, you're you're going right into the top of my show notes. It's as if you're you're looking at my computer screen right now. <laughs> you need to stop creeping on me in my in my apartment. Um, so to we'll get to that just momentarily. Um, but quickly, Mississippi State. Since we last podcasted on on Dogpile, they won four games. They're now sixteen and one going into the beginning of SEC play. They swept a weekend series with Maine nine to two, five to one, nine to eight. And then beat Grambling last night, eighteen to one. Yes, Elijah McNamee is now on an eight-game hit streak. His reach base streak is up to twelve. Both are the longest active streaks on the team. He started this streak in Frisco, by the way. So it's not mm-hmm. like he's just beating up on bad competition because he started in Frisco two games there. Then they immediately came back from Frisco and played ECU. So the competition has been solid to start, but he. He's on an eight-game hit streak, and it's is definitely worth the added two more hits in that Grand Slam against Grambling uh, last night. He's moved his average from 267 to 351 over those eight games, only 26 at-bats, but bumped up his uh, 
his batting average on the year by nearly a hundred points on an on an eight game hit streak. And uh, as we just mentioned, with with SEC play starting this weekend, going to Gainesville for three with with Florida, his his eight game hit streak is coming with with pretty impeccable timing. Yeah, well, that's right. And you know, the other thing too is he's been you know pretty hot at the plate here, consistent at a time when Foscue got red hot, and I know. You know, last night against uh, Grambling, Foscue had to be like, what the heck? Because he hit a couple hard right at people. And then I forget who it was. It might have been Tanner Allen who had a little soft pop-up in the shallow left. They couldn't play it, you know, and he gets a hit out of it. <clears throat> it was like his second hit of the night. But but Foscue has been really hot, too, on, on top of that. And of course, you know, it's crazy to say quietly. But over the last few games, you know, Mangum has – just quietly going about doing what he does. And he's, you know, risen his average up there to about, or raised his average up there to about, I don't know what it is now, 370, something like that. Foscue? No, I'm talking about Mangum at the top, I think. Oh, Mangum, yeah, he's up to 366. 66, okay. So, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like when Magdemy got going, it has it has kind of helped people in front and behind. You know, it's like he's an anchor in there at four or five, depending on where they had him in the lineup. And other guys around him, I think, are hitting a baseball, and he's a big reason why. You know, especially you look at Foscue's hot streak. This is just a theory. But, Brett, you know how coaches always say hitting is contagious? And you'll see that. Sometimes a team doesn't do anything for four innings. One guy gets a single, and then here, here go the floodgates. And – you know, with McNamee going up there and confidently putting the bat on the ball in front of Foscue for the last eight games, I think it has helped Foscue. Does that make sense? It does. And it's it's kind of, you mentioned the hitting is contagious. It kind of goes to another uh, classic baseball-ism. Uh, protection comes from in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, McNamee is, is probably doing that as well as anybody could for for Foscue right yeah. now. I mean, when Foscue's slugging 618, right now through 17 games you could very much appreciate some protection in front of him and McNamee hitting 351 Westberg hitting 361 Tanner Allen kind of started off slow but he's up to 266 right now the the protection for Foskey is very much coming from from in front of him so that's a mm-hmm. that's a good it's a good uh, observation on on McNamee and Foskey kind of yeah. teaming up together speaking of bats that are Going going pretty well right now. Can we spend a few minutes on Josh Hatcher? Yeah, let's hear it. Cause cause I've I've heard his name from from the fans a few times, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But I, I just wanted to spend some time on him because he's only got nine at bats this year, but he is killing it with those opportunities. He's hitting four forty four with a double and a triple, two walks. Also, both of those extra base hits came in the Grambling game just just hours before. We hit record now only only one at bat of consequence. He had a strikeout in the East Carolina game as a pinch hitter. But I want to lay out all of the context on what Josh Hatcher's first 17 games of the year have been and and get your thoughts on him. Because as I've said, I've heard people calling for more at bats from him, both in my mentions. And then I was actually out in the lounges with my wife at the game last night and heard some fans kind of mentioning his name and asking for more ABs out of him. But it it was one of those situations where you can't really take anyone out of the lineup. Tanner Allen 
is your everyday first baseman for better or worse. You've, you've all heard my Tanner Allen second base take more than once. I'll spare you from hearing it again. <laughs> Landon Jordan started well. And then Dustin Skelton was hitting so well that he absolutely had to be the DH whenever he wasn't uh, catching. So there wasn't really much of an opportunity for, for Josh Hatcher to get some ABs, but now you start to wonder if that's as much the case. I mean, Landon Jordan went one for 13 in the seven games following opening weekend. Dustin Skelton went one for 12 in Frisco week. Now, both of them had good series against Maine, which adds more flavor to this conversation. But the point is, Hatcher is doing well against subpar competition at a time where maybe, just maybe, some high leverage at-bats could become available. What what do you think about that? Well, you know, I think that there's definitely that that opportunity. And it looks like to me, you know, the catcher position has that's been the guys who've kind of manned the DH a lot. Uh, the freshman Hayden Jones has been in the DH spot a lot and he's a lefty. Um I want to say that that they've had Gilbert in there at DH a few times. Yeah, they're so deep at catcher. They can put yeah. anybody at DH to be honest. Well, and every time they run Luke Hancock out there, like a last night again, just a freshman, they give him at bats. He seems like he's a walking extra base hit. <laughs> you know, Hayden Jones kind of the same way, <clears throat> but that's two freshman lefties. But Hatcher's a lefty, and so they started him at DH. And the thing that the thing that's different about Hatcher than the two lefty freshman catchers who've hit the ball well is that he's older, right? He's a second year guy. Yeah, and I just think that it's perfectly uh, within reason, and and I also think that it it's smart of you to bring it up to go. Okay, you could be seeing the beginnings of a guy who, because he's a little older, and every time they're giving him a chance, he seems to be putting the bat on the ball. That you know, at some point, they may give him the right at bat in a leverage situation. And then when he comes through, and then he may be solidified in that role, for all we know. Yeah, it's a good point. There's there's two more points that I want to add on on Josh Hatcher before before we move on. I noticed one day he took pregame fielding practice in left field hmm. with Rowdy Jordan struggling, hitting 180. Now, I still believe in, in Rowdy Jordan, and actually here's something to suggest that he's getting better. Strikeouts were a serious issue for Rowdy Jordan. He left the uh, East Carolina game mm -hmm. striking out in almost 27% of his at-bats, but he hasn't struck out in five games now. That's 16 ABs. Granted, his average dropped from 200 to 180 in those games, going two for 16. But with bat skills like Rowdy Jordan's, I'm assuming contact will eventually lead to, to some hits. All of that being said, my faith in Rowdy Jordan being pretty clearly placed Hatcher taking reps in left field, I just can't see that as a coincidence. So maybe that's another route to the field and to the lineup for Josh Hatcher. But also, the second point, this weekend could also be pretty big for for Hatcher. C Chris Lamonis said after that Grambling game that they wanted to get some lefties, some lefty bats in this Grambling game because Florida's pretty righty-heavy in their, in their pitching staff. Now, when you look at lefty bats in this lineup, you obviously have Tanner Allen. Mm -hmm. But behind that, you have Landon Jordan, Josh Hatcher, Luke Hancock, and Hayden Jones, to not mention the switch hitters. So, Chris Lamonis is pretty clearly looking for some left-handed bats behind Tanner Allen 
to be productive in a weekend series against Florida where he believes lefties could be pretty key in, in winning a game or two down there. So I, I just wonder if, once again, that's another opportunity for for Josh Hatcher to get yeah. at the way you put it, I thought was uh, succinct, the, the right high leverage AB to get him going and, and kind of carve out a consistent spot for him. In the lineup, maybe maybe Florida's that weekend. I don't know. Yeah. It's certainly certainly possible, right? And and I think what I meant by that too, just my thinking behind, you know, the right high leverage at bat would be okay. You earn some confidence in in your coaches by coming through in the situations they gave you, and then the, a situation where there's going to be a right handed pitcher who you think he, he's going to go out there and see the right kind of stuff to put the bat on the ball. Um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, his hits last night came against right handers. And one of the things that Josh kind of ran into as a freshman last year, you know, he hit the ball well in that Southern Miss series a year ago as a freshman starting the year. But then after that, lefties started to really eat him up. Left-handed pitching and breaking balls from lefties just really ate him up, started to give him trouble. And that's what really kind of shuffled him to the back of the pack of some of those freshmen a year ago. So... I think what we may be looking at, this is just speculating, but I think what we may be looking at is you get the, a certain right-handed pitcher on the mound who, uh, you know, maybe a guy who lives off fastball, or it could be a pinch hit situation or something like that. Or it could be, a you know, where he, he goes in, in the middle of a game against a right-handed guy who's mowing people down or something and get his bat in there. That's what I mean. I, I think the right leverage situation for Josh is probably against a right-handed pitcher, and so that's probably what you got to look for. Well, and you're absolutely right about that <clears throat> that breaking ball point, and I think that might be what makes him a good pinch hit hitter because when when you throw a pinch hitter in in the game, you're almost always telling him to see the first fastball, put your barrel on it, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And Josh Hatcher fits that profile pretty well. So I'm I, I mean I'm not in the the coaches meetings obviously, but I would I would venture to be pretty confident in saying Josh Hatcher is going to get at least one pinch hit at bat in that Florida series if he doesn't just straight up get a start yeah. at DH on a day where the coaches are pretty confident that they're going to go to righties out of the pen for for whatever reason, Josh would be a pretty Pretty good option in, in that regard. So keep an eye on on him in the uh in the Florida series. Just speaking of the Florida series, I'd like to pat myself on the back for my Peyton Plumley take uh, an episode yeah. or two ago. I kind of wondered aloud if the coaching staff will eventually transition him into more of a weekend role as the SEC season gets here and the midweek competition starts to dwindle down a little bit. He started the grambling game, went three innings, 35 pitches. That's the first time a start of his has gone fewer than four and two thirds and fewer than 60 pitches. He actually had two relief appearances with more pitches. So as soon as Peyton Plumley takes the mound in that Florida series, I'm going to try not to dislocate my shoulder, patting myself on the back. <laughs> but if I have to go on the DL, that's probably why. <laughs> well, that's a good reason why to, you know, to get something correct. Uh, I think with the train blaring through here on the track, now's a good time to take a break and hear from our sponsors, Brett. You know what I'm saying? Let's uh, do it. <laughs> the train's about to knock me over. Uh, a word from Elkins Wholesale, our friends at Jubilations Cheesecake, and also at Mississippi Land Bank.
Thanks to Jubilation's Cheesecake and West Point for supporting this podcast. If you have a fundraiser coming up, you should consider Cheesecakes from Jubilations. It's a rare combination of quality and flavor. You'll find selling Jubilations Cheesecakes for your fundraiser to be profitable, and Jubilations will customize and print your sales sheets for you. Quality, high profit for you, and ease. That's what it's all about. So check out jubilations.com and call Luann at 662-328-9210. That's 328-9210. Or stop by the coffee shop on Highway 45 in West Point and watch them being made. Every season is jubilation season. We do more than make a living off the land in North Mississippi. We live for the land, too. We live for an early morning duck hunt, time spent in a deer stand, a day of fishing, and the outdoor life. For more than 100 years, Mississippi Land Bank has been a great hunting partner for recreational land lovers. By helping to finance the land they set their sights on, we know what a hunter loves and the lay of the land in North Mississippi, and that's where I stand. We want to thank Elkins Wholesale for supporting this podcast, and they can help you and your business with janitorial products, paper items, floor equipment, maybe even laundry needs. Their professionals can meet with you. They can consult with you regarding how to get the job done in the best and most efficient way possible. Family-owned and oriented since 1956, they are customer-driven, and that's why they've been in business this long. Elkins will help streamline your cleaning process to eliminate unnecessary products, and they'll work with you to control your inventory as well, and even train your employees to ensure proper cleaning and disinfecting. When you think clean and efficient, think Elkins Wholesale. Visit them online at ElkinsWholesale.com. So we've got business to handle here. We are, we're going to get into that that Florida series in a second, but this this seems like as good a time as any to give you all an extensive update on Jake Mangum's climb up the uh, up the history books since he got his 300th career hit. In that game against Grambling, he is the fifth Bulldog and the 24th player in SEC history to reach that benchmark. Also got 301 later in that game, so so why stop on the even benchmark? Uh, the four Bulldogs ahead of him are Steve Gendron at 316, Travis Chapman at 327, Richard Lee at 328, and Jeffrey Ray at 335, averaging more or less one and a half hits per game, 1.529. He'll essentially need 35 more hits to take over the number one spot. His current pace has him doing that in roughly 23 games, which comes in the series at Arkansas one week after Super Bulldog weekend. Of course, all that's going to change, but know that he is almost certain to take that uh, to take that overall career hits lead in in Bulldog history mm-hmm. during the the regular season. Of course. Uh, all things saying the same. Uh, we're also recording this on Thursday on the one-year anniversary of his 200th career hit against Southeastern Louisiana. And let this let this rattle around your brain for a second, Matt. He got his 200th career hit in his 144th career game. Hmm. Wow. About that first. And that's just ridiculous. Now, uh, of course, the record everyone cares about is the SEC 
career hit record, but two more I want to touch on before we bring that up. Jake is also 39 games behind the MSU record for career games played set by Burke Masters. Um, let me make sure that math is right. Yes. So if he plays in every game in the rest of the season and plays in one SEC tournament game, he'll tie it. Anything beyond that, he'll break it. And then a double against Grambling moved him from a tie for fifth to a tie for fourth in school history. He's got 55 career doubles now. Uh, He's tied with Dan Van Cleve. Travis Chapman, 71, the current school record. That's going to be really, really tough to beat. He'd basically have to keep his current hitting pace all the way through a national championship run. But considering he has 55 and Pete Young is in third with 56, that'll almost certainly happen. And then Richard Lee is in second with 66. So that's, that's within striking distance as well. Now, finally, the SEC career hit record. He has 301 hits. Eddie Furness, the former LSU first baseman from uh, back in the mid-90s, has the record with 352. Uh, Since Jake is currently on pace to hit 335 around mid-April, he's likely to get that record at some point. But you also need to watch out for LSU's Antoine Duplantis. He's at 293 Mm. career hits, obviously eight behind Jake right now. So Jake has some, some room there, but it's not... There is someone else in the race is is the point of all of this. So Jake currently stands at 301 hits. The MSU career record is 335. The LS, the SEC career record is 352. Okay, so and he's chasing it down. How about that? Yeah. It's amazing how long that 352 of, um, of uh, Furnace has held up all those years. Yeah, and, and honestly, it, it hasn't really been challenged all that much. I mean, Jeffrey Ray had 335 from from 04 to 07, so he had a little bit of a chance, but he probably needed a lot more games. Uh, Florida, Florida's Preston Tucker from 2009 to 2012 had 341. That's that's as close as as anyone's gotten. But just in in recent times, I mean, Alabama's Taylor Duga had 334. Blake Dean had 332 at LSU from 07 to 10. So, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good call. He hasn't, man, he hasn't really uh, been been seriously threatened by by anybody. And now he's being threatened by two players, one at at his own alma mater. So I hope yeah. uh, I hope Eddie Furness can can make it to a, a regional or a super regional or Omaha wherever Jake Mangum has a chance to to break that record. That'd be a pretty cool moment. You know, and one thing that stand, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing that stands out uh, about this. So Furnace has the record. Uh, Mangum and Duplantis chasing him down here is it's three guys who played a bunch of postseason games. Also, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you look at Jake. Um, he's going to catch him most likely, and he's a guy who, you know, started as a freshman, hit 400 as a freshman. Played in a bunch of postseason games and one World Series, you know, and trying to make it another. So, um, Deplanis, same way at LSU, played a bunch of postseason games, and so you know that's a part of it also. Uh, certainly, that's a that's a really neat deal. You know, last night you can see on the replay, Jake slaps that one through. Uh, you know, the six hole goes opposite, and as soon as it gets through, he claps his hands. So he was pretty aware. I think Jake was pretty aware that that next hit was going to give him 300. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. That seems, that seems pretty clear. And, and, you know, given all of the emotion that he has displayed on, on baseball fields over his three and currently half years at, 
at Mississippi State. I can I can only imagine what his reaction is going to be when he passes uh, Jeffrey Ray for the uh, the career hits record at Mississippi State, and then when he eventually passes Eddie Furness for the career hits record in the SEC. I can I can only imagine. I just I just hope those moments come at home mm-hmm. at Duty Noble Field. Uh, the the pace you never you never know when. Excuse me. You never know when those things are gonna manifest themselves. But the uh, just just knowing that they could be at home and and these these baseball fans they they keep themselves up to date pretty well. I think there's a Twitter account out there dedicated to to Jake's climb up the record books. Oh, something really? something know. like that. So there's there's a lot of information out there, and I'm I'm confident if say so the SC, the career record at state is 335 if he entered uh, a weekend series at 331 i'm i'm willing to bet that that place would be packed to the gills for for 3 days people trying to to witness history and watch jake become the career hits leader in in mississippi state history i i, I would certainly appreciate that scene is it is it time to start talking about sec baseball yeah i think so and one thing um <clears throat> i was looking at um brett is that you know state's schedule is tough i mean it's, yeah. it, 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 you're in the sec so they're all going to be tough every year in some shape form or fashion so when you're comparing one sec schedule for a team and then versus another they're all it's just it's they're all tough it's just varying degrees but you know, I think State's SEC schedule is way on up there in terms of um, in terms of toughest. Now, I um, every now and then, Brett. You know, I have a tendency I kind of turn my nose up at rankings, not because I don't find them entertaining. It's just I go, you know, the the whole pragmatic approach. You go, well, you know, why do I need to know who the top twenty five teams are when sixty eight of them are going to play in the postseason? You know, so true, but. There is something to the idea, and I, I think college baseball rankings. Um, you know, you look at Baseball America and D one. I think they do a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Um, through you know throughout the years, I've kept up. And what is it? Nine of states. Is that right? Is not is it nine of states? Ten SEC opponents are ranked right now. Are Alabama and Tennessee ranked? Well, see, Tennessee is. Right. At the okay. Moment. Then yeah, nine out of ten. Alabama was must be the uh, yeah the the one man out. Right. That's it. And and then you start looking at. I mean, I was actually going through this exercise on my radio show, just because you know we have primarily state and Ole Miss fans who listen to the radio show. There are a few yeah. others, and so it was an exercise we were doing on the radio, just comparing those two those two teams' schedules, and we broke it down by month. And, you know, like State's March schedule, um, much tougher, I felt like, than Ole Miss's. State's April schedule, I felt like it was tougher. And then you get into May, they play each other in May, but it's in Oxford. And, you know, that's really kind of makes it tougher on on State. State's schedule is a tough one, but the thing that I think you uh, take confidence in is if you go into this schedule that they have – and continue to pitch it the way they are and win a bunch of series, then I, I dare I say, watch out, Kendall Rogers, State's going to have a great chance to host. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, though. To, to take the 
the numbers from my my full count post uh, from Monday. Um, just look at the the first three SEC series against Florida, Auburn, and LSU at Florida, home against Auburn, home against LSU. Take the D1 baseball and the Baseball America rankings of those two teams. Florida, five and four, Auburn, 18 and 17, LSU, 13 and 11. Tennessee being ranked really throws the the monkey wrench in this thing because one of my points from that full count post was you probably need to stack wins in April because Alabama, I think they're getting better. I think they will be respectable within two years or so, but they're not quite that mm. right now. And Tennessee was supposed to be one of the other teams that you could kind of stack wins against. But with Tennessee playing at a top 25 level right now, that just makes Mississippi State's SEC schedule borderline impossible. But as you mentioned, it's almost always that way. But yeah, the, the, the point from my full count post on Monday was we'll know everything we need to know in, in three weeks because you're getting, you're getting nine games against top 20 uh, caliber teams, according to the most reputable rankings out there. So whatever whatever questions we have about things we've seen so far, but we aren't sure of because of either sample size or quality of competition or some combination of both, I'm guessing all of those questions will be answered when we're recording this podcast three weeks from now after all of these things have been settled with weekend series against Florida, Auburn, and LSU, I don't think we'll have to, to question things anymore. We'll know what's up after mm-hmm. these first three weeks. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I, I do. And, you know, the thing is, you know, the home schedule, I think, for State, it tells you a lot, lot, lot as well. Because, it, you know, in terms of postseason team and, and really wanting to set yourself up to make another run to Omaha, it's kind of a given that, you know, you have to win home series Right, like you can't go losing a bunch of home series. So I always, when I look at schedules, I always kind of start right there. And mm-hmm. yeah, so if you're state, you're going to get Auburn and LSU at home out of your, you know, two out of three of your series here in March. You just have to win those series because when this all is said and done, if you've gone to Florida and and didn't win the series but avoided getting swept on the road at Florida, you're fine, right? I mean Absolutely. So this this being the first SEC series of the year, there will be an overreaction to it one way or the other. It's what happens with fan bases early in the year. It's what we do. Right? So if State goes down there and wins two out of three at Florida we're all going to come out of the weekend saying state's going to win the national championship. (laughs) (laughs) But by the same token, if they go down there and they only pick up one win, let's just say, and it happens to be on Sunday, there'll be some that'll be negative and they'll get on the message boards and talk about how worried they are. Well, I'm just not going to do it because if you go, you go on the road to a place like Florida, you can play really well for three games and not win. So if you come out of there with one win on the road at Florida, you're fine. It's just a matter of winning the Auburn and the LSU series at home, and they're going to be really tough. And then you look at the month of April. They're at Tennessee and at Arkansas. You know, we'll see how Tennessee, we know Arkansas is competitive. We know it's hard to win up there. But they're going to host Alabama and Georgia in April. One team's not ranked, but, you know, they're coming up, Bama. Georgia is really good this year. Highly ranked. Mm-hmm. 
but those are home. Two out of your four are at home. So again, if you just go to Tennessee and you go to Arkansas and don't get swept and come out of there with at least one win, then what you have to do is just win your home series. And again, you're way ahead of the curve in April. So that's kind of how I look at it is, you know, don't get swept on the road Win the series at home, and with state schedule this year, if that's the formula throughout, they're going to be sitting pretty. Well, put it put it this way: if you if you win all of your home series and you win one game on the road in each home series in each road series, excuse me, that gives you fifteen conference wins. Yeah, and then say. Uh, just looking at this schedule, say you go to Tennessee and you steal a second one since state, I think is pretty clearly a better team than Tennessee, although Tennessee is pretty solid. And then Alabama super bulldog weekend. They're at the bottom of the league. Maybe you sweep them. Mm-hmm. I and mean, if you steal little wins here and there at on that general pace of winning your home series and winning one on the road per series that can sneak you up into that. 17 18 conference win range and mm-hmm. I mean wasn't wasn't the SEC West one with a tie at the top of the division with 18 conference wins last year I believe that's right 18 I'm thinking and you know and you look at overall resume Brett we're going if 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 but if that happens they're also going to look and go okay well they took two out of three from Southern Miss in a series Southern Miss is going to be a tournament level team coming out of Conference USA and they'll go, well, the only time they lost to Southern Miss was on a one to nothing extra innings game. Yep. They're going to go, hey, look, in the non-conference, they beat East Carolina. Hosted them. Um, you're going to play the Governor's Cup neutral site. And, you know, win that neutral site, it helps the overall resume. So they've got some non-conference stuff that's going to help them, too. I think it's what we're Sam Houston to. State, Texas Tech, Southeastern Absolutely. Louisiana, UAB is going to be good. In that conference, you've also got Little Rock on on the non-con schedule coming up. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of meat to that non-conference bone. So 17 SEC wins, kind of following that that uh, that outline that we've set. That's uh, again, watch out, Kendall Rogers. That's good enough. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Um, so that's the formula, and you know it pretty much is that every year. But um, and I, and I think too. You know, depth of pitching, again, you've seen a lot of years where teams would, you know, you might do well enough in conference play, but then you kind of work yourself back into the bubble-type conversation because of midweek losses and and all that kind of stuff. Um, we, Bart was bringing up recently, I think it was that 2016 team that Dakota Hudson was the ace, and they wound up hosting at the end of the year, and People forget early in that year they had a midweek loss. I think it was to Eastern Kentucky, and it gave up like eleven runs or something to Eastern Kentucky and lost. And at the beginning of the year, yeah. people were freaking out. Well, you know the depth of pitching on this team is is and has been so good. You know, you got midweek win over East uh, East Carolina. You're gonna you're gonna have a great chance to win that Governor's Cup, you know, and stuff like that. So, I, I think they. I think state fans not only are excited, but I think they should be. I agree, and it's it's about time this this team gets challenged with with SEC competition. Right. I can't I can't wait. Now I'm hesitant to give uh, game dates and times because it's weather situated. <laughs> I I've, yeah. I was I remember doing this on the last episode of of Dogpile. I gave the dates and times for the main series. 
And in the back <laughs> of my head, I was like, why are you doing this? Because now that you're saying this, it's going to get rained out. They're going to change it. And then, of course, like I think it was in between recording and the podcast posting or maybe it was shortly after the podcast posted. They sent out the release that they were going to go Friday doubleheader instead of the the Saturday game. But I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to tempt fate. Um, the series for this weekend at Florida, Friday night, 530 SEC Network Plus. Saturday, 1 o'clock, big SEC network. Sunday, 1 o'clock, big SEC network. So you don't have to yeah. stream on your computer for two of these three games. You'll get it on your on your classic television broadcast. So it's uh, it's going to be easier to watch the dogs this weekend than, than it normally is. And I think you should. I know you're going to because y'all are ravenous baseball fans. But I think you should because this is, this is the beginning of that uh, three week stretch where we're, we're probably about to learn everything we need to know. Yeah. And and so the, the, just to recap, you said the last two of the series are TV. Yeah. Both, okay. both one o'clock, both on sec network. Okay. You know, and what's good about that honestly is it, there are, when you watch on your iPad, on your phone, your computer, on the watch ESPN app, the, you know, SEC Plus, as it's called. That's what I do with, with Bart. Yeah. You know, there's some regular SEC Plus crews uh, for different schools, crews, broadcast crews, who, you know, uh, call it down the middle and just kind of try to stay true to the game. There might be a slight lean towards the home team, but that's kind of the way we do it on our broadcast. But we, we try to always make sure, too, that we're just fair to, the, to everybody that's on the field, uh, home or away. But not everybody around the league approaches it that way. And in years past, uh, the guys that do the Florida baseball games on SEC Plus, if you watch it on your computer, you know, it's kind of their home crew. And, man, a lot of state fans were, like, super frustrated trying to watch that because they're so <laughs> rooting for Florida the whole game and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, so I think that's good. Two of the three this weekend won't be that. It'll be TV, and you'll get a, you'll get a bit more of a down-the-middle broadcast when you consume those as a fan so hmm. and then of course there's always you can always watch and then turn up your audio elsewhere and listen to Jim Ellis on his radio broadcast which a lot of people yep. do too so so that's good news all right Brett uh, I got to get ready for a radio show anything else I'm good I'm good I think I've I think I've unleashed all my data and takes I'm good to go data and takes hold on to that phrase that'd be the next yep. podcast but then we'll <laughs> have this whole conversation is it data or data you know, is it take that for data or is it take that for data? You know, which is it? <laughs> uh, we should leave this up to the listener. Yeah, I guess. we'll let them vote. That's it. We'll let them vote. All right. Good stuff. Brett, as always, and thank you. We'll talk soon. All right. He's Brett Hudson. I'm Matt Wyatt. This is Dogpile, sponsored by Mississippi Land Bank, Elkins Wholesale, and Jubilations Cheesecake. See you all next time. <laughs>